You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. starting the first week of Advent uh, in our new series called Hidden Figures of Christmas, Hidden Figures of Advent, and we're excited to begin to look at some of those different people, maybe who are minor characters who don't get a bunch of, you know, uh, fan fan mail and people sort of like following behind them. Everyone does that for Mary Joseph, right? Um, no? Everyone has them always in their nativity set. I'll see others who get left out. Um, so we're going to look at some of that today. Just so you know, um, I'm participating in a documentary, and so there is someone that's recording uh, this service today, um, and they're not going to get the fronts of our heads, just the backs of our heads. So if you're wondering, who is this person moving around? But if you're uncomfortable with that and you just really want to make sure that doesn't, you know, your face doesn't get caught in that by chance, you're always welcome to go into the balcony, um, and that recording won't be happening up there. So just to put that on your radar as well for those who we want to respect your privacy and wherever you are um, in your uh, uh, journey. Um, so, jumping in, uh, you know, this morning when I walked out of my uh, apartment, it was the first snow I've seen in New York City. So, it, was, it wasn't like an intense snow, blizzardly, it was just the way it was supposed to be. It was just enough that I could stick out my tongue and get moisturized. Like, it was, it was just right that when I walked up here to the roulette, I was glistening. Um, it was just the right amount of snow. However, I realized as the snow came that that means there will be plenty more probably to follow. We always see, you know, when snow falls, what happens, right? You, you, you see the transition most, to me, being from the Midwest particularly, and um, the transition on the trees. You see the trees begin to change, right? They, they turn colors, then all of a sudden they're laid bare and there's nothing on them, and then soon they're filled again with ice and snow and all of the things above, right? And some, some trees get so heavy with ice and snow that you begin to sort of see the limbs grow weak, right? They sort of bend forward. The tree starts to shift positions. Some of the limbs eventually even get so heavy that they just snap off. I was uh, back in Illinois this week uh, and stayed at the now Airbnb that I'm hosting out of my old home there. And there were some limbs that were in the yard that had fallen. And I picked them up and I thought, boy, the next time I come back, I'll probably have a bunch of more limbs. Maybe I'll just ask the people who are mowing the lawn to gather them up. Because reality is, is no matter how strong the tree is, there's always going to be a few weak limbs, a few dying limbs that just can't take the weight of the winter, of the storm, of the snow that rests upon their shoulders. And I don't, when I think about that, I think about how often there are seasons in our lives when we go through that same sort of juxtaposition, right? There are seasons in our lives when uh, maybe we feel like we're full of life and revivacious the summertime. And then maybe there's a shift and there's a change of season in our life and there's something that's new and colorful and beautiful. And then there oftentimes is that transition sometimes in our lives. We all have it. We've all been through it. Maybe we're in it now. We're going to be through it or we have been through it before where it just feels like everything in our life is just laid bare. And there's just this weight placed upon our shoulders like heavy snow and ice and they're just limbs that are just sort of breaking off. I know about you, but this pandemic, the last two years, I feel like it's been a huge weight on me. I feel like I've lost a few limbs through this long season that was only supposed to be like just not two years, right? I I remember people being like, oh, you know, like sometimes pandemics can take like two or three years. And I'm like, yeah, no, I I can't survive that. Like if that's how long this is going to be, there's no way. But we're at two years just about and we 
are still here. I'm still here. Maybe I walk with a limp now and have some branches that are a little loose. Maybe I am not quite as strong or as wise or have as much emotional tolerance as I used to. I used to meet with like six people a day and I'd be totally fine and energized. Now it's like my emotional level is like I can meet with three people a day and then I'm physically exhausted. Like I have to rebuild how much time I can spend with people and how much I can give out because everything has changed over the last two years. And I think about many of us in this room, we probably watching online or here, you could think of things. Maybe it was your, a relationship or a marriage that was tested, brought to the brink. Maybe being stuck in a house all day together, working, maybe raising kids. Maybe, maybe that caused you to have conversations that you had been avoiding for a long time. Maybe a limb broke. Maybe it's a job that you started or that you had found to be so stressful or life-sucking or maybe it was a, a search for a job that just seems endless that you just feel like you're ready to break. Maybe it was a relapse of an old pattern or behavior or something that you had changed or shifted in your life and then all of a sudden because of the isolation and the loneliness and the despair and the great weight upon your limbs, you broke. Maybe you relapsed and went back into some things that you had worked so hard to overcome. Perhaps it's just like an enhanced sense of grief and loneliness that being alone during this pandemic, you realize that it is just hard. That maybe you were fine being single or widowed or whatever that may be for you, but all of a sudden in the midst of this pandemic, you just feel even lonely. That The silence seems louder. Or, or maybe for you, um, as, as you look at our justice system and you see the ways in which people have been so blind to racial injustice and inequity and just downright systemic racism, that perhaps you're growing weary and tired in this season because it just seems like we just keep going around the same mountain. And perhaps when the verdict of the Rittenhouse trial came in, maybe you felt like a branch broke. Maybe that weight just feels so strong this morning. Well, today, as we look at the first week of Advent, um, we look at uh, some individuals who follow this light that's shining in the distance that's supposed to lead them towards hope. It's supposed to sort of melt the snow and the ice off of these heavy limbs that they're carrying, and it's supposed to bring them newness of life. We realize that, that you know, the, the day gets a little darker right now, right? It's like 4 o'clock, the sun starts going down, and we're just like, man, this is just kind of a darker season and time in the can- calendar year. But there will come a time, again, when the sun will rise, S-U-N-N-S-O-N, see what I did there? And, and all of a sudden, some of that ice and that snow will melt off those branches again. You will get a breath. But the wise men, they begin their journey looking towards this star, looking towards this light of hope that could perhaps melt some of the weight that they are carrying upon their shoulders. And so we begin this first week of Advent, beginning looking in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Looking at the wise men's journey, it says, beginning in verse 2, sorry, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Wise men, they're, they're astrologers, they study both astrology and religion in order to sort of make sense of life. You ever have those people who are like, what month were you born in? Da, 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 right? They're trying to like figure you out or someone like me that's like, what Enneagram number are you? So I can sort of put you in a box and think I have you all understood. And, and that, that's kind of what they're doing here uh, with this type of idea of looking at astrology and looking at religions to try to make sense of the world and the people around them and the events that are occurring 
And so they, they see this star, and they're like, well, what does that bright star off in the distance mean? And they will, well, they know about some religions and some prophecies that have been said, particularly a prophecy in the book of Daniel. And this prophecy talks about how a star will appear, and that will be a sign that the, that the Christ child, the king of the Jews, will have been born. So, so where do you go? If, if the Christ child, the king of the Jews, has been born, where, where was the first place you'd probably look? Probably the capital, right? You go to Jerusalem. You, you go to the place, well, of course, if the king's going to be born, probably going to be born in the most prominent city in town. So the passage tells us they go to Jerusalem, er, wrong, not the place, not where Jesus is. And so they get there like, well, well this is weird. We, we, we would think he's here. Basically, the wise men are in Hatton, but Jesus was born in Jersey City. I'm sorry, Reverend Vernida. <laughs> Basically, they, 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 they're rerouting. They're, they're like, oh, of course Jesus is in Manhattan, right? No, no, no. Jesus is born in the most unlikely of place, a place that people think is just too far to journey. But re- reality is, is the wise men add a little more time to their commute, and they head on over to Jersey City, and they find baby Jesus there in the most unlikely of places. And Matthew tells us that this, uh, an interesting version of the story that Luke tells us a different in- version. So we all, you know, we've got four Gospels, right, and they all tell us different, sto- different versions of the story, which is kind of interesting to think about. For instance, Matthew tells us that there is a star, but Luke doesn't mention anything about a star in his version of the Gospel story. He just says that there is a bright light that comes from angels, Interesting that there are two different depictions there. Luke tells us, uh, interesting enough, that there are shepherds, but Matthew tells us that there are wise men. But neither of them said that there are shepherds or wise men in the reverse story. As if maybe they're just using different words or descriptions or imagery to communicate a different message. Consider this with me. Maybe they're using different characters for a reason because both of their books are written and for different crowds and audiences, but also for different purposes. For instance, the book of Matthew, the first chapter that everyone skips when they begin is this long genealogy of who Jesus was born from and who his mother was born from and his mother's mother and line and line and line goes all the way back, right? Matthew starts that book because his whole purpose of the whole gospel of Matthew is to prove that Jesus is the king of the Jews, that he is the one who has come to save humanity. This is the whole purpose of Matthew's book. Now, here's the reality, though. That is not the purpose of Luke's book. Luke, Luke is, is not concerned with proving the, the, the kinghood or the divinity of Jesus in that way. He is concerned with the poor and the needy. Luke's whole book is about how Jesus came to care for the poor and the needy, which is why when Luke tells a Christmas story, he emphasizes this idea that Jesus was born in a stable to poor people. He emphasizes that the, the appearance was to the shepherds who were lowly outcasts, and yet the angels appear to these lowly outcasts who live on the outskirts, not interacting with people, but instead living amongst the sheep. Luke has a whole different idea and focus of who he wants Jesus and his story to identify with as people are looking to the Christ the king, but also to Christ who comes for the lowly. It's interesting that these two stories sort of emphasize two different things, but, but one thing that they share in common overwhelmingly is a light. There's a light from a star in Matthew's story, but a light from the angel's appearance in Luke's story. So let's sort of follow that common thread of the light today as we enter Advent. This, this light that shines, it sort of melts away this great weight that sits upon the branches of the tribe of Israel that they're waiting for their Jewish king to come and to deliver them. Let's follow that light. As we enter into 2022, I think it's interesting to, to, to stop and think about how we are trusting a light at the end of the tunnel that we can't really fully see yet. And we've been doing that for two years. We're told if we get to this point, it's going to be better. If we can just do this, it's going to all be back to normal. 
we see this light, the vaccines come. We hope that, that maybe we're out, just outside of the woods of this, but it's like, this is a long journey. When is this going to be over? And the Jewish people in our story today, that's exactly how they feel as they're waiting for their long-expected king to come and deliver them from Roman oppression. They're waiting, and, and they're waiting, and it's just not coming. You know, Paul, you said something interesting earlier when, when we asked, what is the thing that gives you hope? And, and you mentioned a, uh, what was it again? Jellyfish, thank you. You mentioned a jellyfish. And you talked about the reason it gave you hope was because it goes so slow. Most people wouldn't say that. There was some depth to that, okay? I, I felt the depth to that. Like, I was like, oh, I want to just peel back the layers of that jellyfish. Because that is something that I think helps tells us a lot of truth. The fact, that, the fact that going slow gives us hope. It gives us renewed perspective. It gives us time to see what's happening on the journey we're on. There, there's something invaluable about that. When I read this story of the wise men taking this long journey to meet Jesus, did you know that it took them two years to actually meet Jesus? A lot of us talk about how Jesus shows up, you know, in the manger scene. We set it all up. They're all there. Everyone's there when baby Jesus is born. In the Episcopal Church and in several mainline Christian traditions, when they set up their nativity scenes in their, in their churches, you cannot find any wise men. But instead on Epiphany, the very first Sunday after Christmas, Usually children come bringing in the wise men and they sit them at the scene of the nativity. And they say, now the wise men have finally arrived. And they, we do this because it's believed that when Matthew tells us the story of the wise men arriving, it does not refer to Jesus as an infant. It says that they, it refers to Jesus as a child. And it says that he, they walk into a house, not into a stable. So it's interesting, they take this long journey to follow this king that has been born, and it takes them two years to get there. It's taken us two years to get to the point we are now in our own journey of our own wilderness season, of our own season of looking for the light. It took the Israelites four decades to get where they were being called. It took Joseph in the technicolor rainbow coat almost a lifetime to, to reconcile with his family. It took three days for the light to shine out of the tomb and our king and S-O-N to rise. Sometimes it doesn't happen in our timeline. And sometimes it is a long journey. Sometimes there's a lot of waiting and there's something to learn in the waiting. There's something to learn in the journey if we would just open our hearts and our minds to what it is that there is to learn along the way. Perhaps we will lose a few branches. Perhaps it will be hard. Perhaps we will come out on the other side of this different and changed than we ever were before. It's interesting for me to stop and to consider the ways in which these wise men were following this star. And nothing in history tells us that these wise men identified as Jewish or that was their tradition. And yet, they follow the star to sort of make sense of life and to make sense of what is happening. And I can't imagine how they might have been changed when they finally encountered the Christ child. But, but, but what shakes me even more to my core is to think about the fact that they likely never got to see the whole fulfillment of who this Christ child was that this two-year two two journey took. They likely died long before Christ entered his earthly ministry 30 years later. They likely never heard what his purpose was or saw him come into his full kingship and authority. All they ever likely knew of him was as an infant baby child who somehow brought light and changed their perspectives. They likely never fully got to see the fulfillment of all the things that their journey meant. But they still took the journey. King Herod, though, he's not too happy about this journey. 
In verse 3, it begins, and King Herod says this, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called the meeting of the leading priests and leading religious laws and asked, what is the, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? It's interesting here that, that Herod is so disturbed by the any idea of anyone coming to power that could threaten his power and the status quo, that he is actually even convinced the religious leaders, the other Jewish religious leaders and priests of the time, that they too should be disturbed by this. They've been waiting for like nine generations for their king to come. And so they appear before Herod and they tell him what he wants to hear. Yeah, this is where the king of the Jews is supposed to be born. And the passage tells us that they too were disturbed by the news. They had grown so content with the oppressive nature of being under King Herod, who also identified as Jewish, but also a Roman sellout as a Jewish king that they had just sort of grown complacent and comfortable with the systemic oppression that existed in their culture and society. There's a quote that says from Herod's day, it says, it's better to be one of Herod's pigs than his sons because Herod killed both of his sons because he thought they were a threat to his power. He didn't just try to kill Jesus and actually put a decree out to kill all of the children of that time, but he actually killed his own sons because he knew that they would be his successors and he didn't want that. And think about that. If he is Jewish, that's an interesting quote, right? Pigs. Better than pigs. Jews don't eat pigs. We've been trying to buy ham in our neighborhood where we live. It's, it's a predominantly Jewish community. We have to go out of our neighborhood to buy pigs. They're not selling it to us there. So basically saying, listen, he, he wouldn't have killed or protected his pigs. He didn't kill or he didn't protect his kids. He killed them because that's how much power meant to him. That's how much anything that would threaten his power meant to him. And that's what Herod chose to do. He gives these wise men, these magi, this order to go and to find this Jesus so that he can kill him. So that he could take out any threat to his power. But reality is, as the wise men go on this long journey, they take this journey and they get there and they never do report back to King Herod, do they? They never tell Herod that they have found Jesus because they know exactly what Herod will do. Because he did to his sons. What would stop him from doing it to Jesus? Anyone with the word king in front of their name, they knew better. They chose to avoid the trap. And I couldn't help when I read that to think about uh, Reverend Vernita's message a few weeks ago about Shipper and Pua. Shipper and Pua, right? They were called by Pharaoh, another king, another person in power, to go and to kill all the Egyptian children because they didn't want them to be a threat to their power, to take them out. But what did Shipper and Pua do? They chose to be subversively disobedient to those orders because they knew that God was up to something better and they knew that those orders were immoral. And because they did that, what did Pastor Vernita say? <laughs> they made the way for Moses to be born. And Moses was the light for the Israelites to lead them out of oppression. And in the same way, the wise men's subversive disobedience to the message of Herod to go and to report where Jesus was so that he could kill him and also go and he then makes a decree to kill all the children in the land that are in that age group, which then causes Mary and Joseph to leave and flee the land, right? Because they chose to disobey Herod, that made way for the light of Christ to come and to illuminate this space that we stand in today. Sometimes those in power who want to preserve their power will call us and ask us to conform and believe certain things in order to hold that power. 
And there are so many layers to that, from race to gender to sexuality we, to, to, to American supremacy that sometimes we cause. I think Thanksgiving is a moment to step back and to think about. That sometimes I think we must take our moment and, and our, take our hint from those in this text to realize that sometimes God does call us to subversively resist the orders and directions, the beliefs and the principles and the ideals of places where we live because all they do is uphold powers of oppression. But instead, we need to be people of equity, people who are subversively resisting those in power so that the light can come and the dark can be clenched. Herod was greatly threatened by Jesus, but he didn't need to be. But when he heard the word king, he could only think of one way that any king could be, and that was to hoard their power for their own benefit. But that is never the way Jesus used his power. Jesus always used his power to empower others in every moment and every instance. And that is the way power is supposed to be used. As we land this plane of the first week of Advent and this sermon, I want us to consider the ways in which the journey, the long and hard journey to the light has changed us. How has this journey of the pandemic over the last two years made us different? How are we different and how do we want to be different as we walk towards this light at the end of a tunnel that it seems so far, but yet it seems closer than it was six months, a year ago, two years ago? So I invite you in this moment to just consider these questions for yourself. As you've gone on this long journey and you've been under the weight of these sort of heaviness, whatever that may be, that maybe you've lost a few limbs or you feel like you're close to it. What have you learned during the last two years of this pandemic? How have you been changed? Maybe you learned that you never want to homeschool your kids again. Like that's never going to be an option. <laughs> maybe you learned um, that you really need to invest in friends because when everything sort of blew up, you realized how isolated you were. Maybe you realized that the job that you had, maybe it was okay that you lost it because all of a sudden it opened an opportunity for you to explore something that you really love. I don't know what it is for you today, but, but what is it that the last two years of this long journey towards the light has taught you? What are the gifts of this pandemic? What has the light of Christ shine on dark places and revealed to you? And when we arrive at the end of this long journey through the wilderness, from the east to Bethlehem, taking a pit stop in Jerusalem. What have you learned? What have you been taught? How have you been strengthened? How have you been changed and how have you changed the world? I think if we can answer that, I think if we can make sense of that, I think we too can be like the Magi. And we can come to the Christ child two years later after a long journey and we can see that Christ child for who that Christ child is. And we can leave and go back home, changed and transformed, better than when we began the journey. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.